Winner, winner, chicken dinner! Four! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Action Network Podcast, the Golf Edition. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bed, alongside, as always, my pal Peter Jennings. What's going on, Peter? And uh, as we're about to take a look back at last week's Northern Trust, a historic Northern Trust, and uh, look ahead at the BMW Championship, as always, give me one thing you're going to be talking about over the next half hour or so, and then, uh, I don't know, say hi and, and welcome to everybody. Yeah, Jason, uh, excited. We're in the midst of the FedEx Cup playoffs. This week, I'm going to be all over John Rahm again. He is the expensive guy that I'm going to be paying for. Surprise, surprise. Peter Jennings loves John Rahm. Excited to chat about last week, which was a historic performance by Dustin Johnson. Well, I thought I was going to steal your thunder. I thought I was going to take your guy. I thought maybe you'd go with your other guy, Colin Morikow, and I'd be able to have John Rom table scraps for this week's podcast. Instead, we're just going to both be on the same guy, and uh, how could that ever go wrong? So, uh, yes, I will be also talking a lot of John Rom over the next half hour. So we will get into everything BMW Championship this week, uh, looking at the course, looking at the field, looking at which players might be a little more motivated than some other guys going into the second of three FedEx Cup playoff events. But first, let's go back and – Talk about what was a, just an unbelievable performance by Dustin Johnson this past week. I know, Peter, that you and I are paid to explain these things. We're paid to explain the hows and the whys of Dustin Johnson shooting 30 under, winning by 11, coming back from shooting scores of 80, two of them at the Memorial Tournament, granted at a much harder golf course, Muirfield Village, about five weeks earlier. But the fact that he's gone from there to – challenging for a major championship and, and not winning after having the 54-0 lead to just absolutely burying the field at TBC Boston. I, I'm not sure I have an explanation for DJ's mentality other than if there's ever been a golfer built for bouncing back after not winning a major championship, that golfer is Dustin Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I think Dustin's mentality and just the way he goes about things uh, – you know, he is more capable than other golfers where the losses or not performing, you know, in a major on Sunday is going to stay with him. I think Dustin just shakes it off and moves forward. And the big thing that he talked about that is evident uh, with where his golf game is now is that he found that butter cut again. I mean, he knows the ball is going left to right when he does that cut swing and he's just completely in control of his golf ball. Uh, you tweeted out he made more eagles than bogeys. That yeah. seems like a good recipe to, to win golf tournaments. Um, and yeah, going back to what Brooks Kepka said, I mean, how stupid does he look? Um, and I know he's he's done more media, and I do appreciate that he's candid, but uh, taking shots at Dustin Johnson, a Hall of Fame golfer, number one golfer in the world now who just lapped the field, uh, looks pretty bad at this point in time. So, uh, DJ, big shout-out to him. Um, it's it's amazing. Like, we're at a point in golf. Like, who do you, who do you think, Jason, has the, the best next year from this point Till where we are in August in 2021, who do you think has the best performance uh, over that next year? I can answer it with probably 12 different answers and still not be right. I will go with Justin Thomas. He's got a high ceiling and probably has a higher floor than a lot of other guys, but I, I don't know. That's a great question. I'm not sure I have a terrific answer for it. That's a tough one for me. What do you think? 
Yeah, I would probably say Justin Thomas too. I'm tempted to say Rom, and I'm tempted to say Colin Morikawa. You know, I say all those things, and I recognize I have recency bias, and mm-hmm. Rory could usually be that guy. And you know, I'd say DJ for sure, but I feel like that's a chalk answer. And the reason I asked, and, and you just gave a you know a lot of explanation and why it's so hard to have a hot take about, it, is that golf's in a great place. We have 10, 15 guys that are playing just absolutely elite golf. I mean, Daniel Berger could be that guy based on how he's played after the COVID swing. So. Golf's in a great place. FedEx Cup playoffs is going to be really fun to watch down the stretch. And then we have the U.S. Open and the Masters here in November. There's tons of big golf tournaments coming up, and there's so many elite guys, which is uh, making it so much fun. It's so much fun. I mean, I'm telling you, I used to do podcasts and radio interviews 10, 15 years ago, and the host would always ask me, how come no one can challenge Tiger Woods? How come no one can step up and challenge him to be the, the best player in the world? And now... I mean, it's not really about Tiger anymore. Obviously, he's still capable of, on any given week, playing solid golf. But it's just the fact that this is changing hands so often. I mean, uh, quite frankly, the best quote-unquote player on any basis is the guy who just won the the day before. I mean, we can can sit here and uh, discuss for a long time. And the best discussions, the best debates are the ones that don't really have a right or wrong answer. We can sit here and debate and discuss which – player is the best in the world right now but quite frankly it's jt wins well then it's him and then rom wins uh, well maybe it's rom morikawa wins uh, morikawa might be it so based <laughs> on all that uh peter i've got three questions i want to get to you coming off the uh, uh the northern trust this past week and since you mentioned kepka i will get to that one first because uh i was on sirius xm pga tour radio earlier today we're taping this on monday afternoon Monday morning, I was on the starter with my buddy Taylor Zarzer, and he brought up a great question and another one that I can't really find an answer to, although I will try. Which player's career, as of right now, would you rather have? Dustin Johnson with 22 career wins and one major, or Brooks Kepka, who, of course, has four major championships? Yeah, they're, both their careers ended today. I, I would take Dustin Johnson, and I recognize I'm biased uh, against Brooks, but you know Dustin uh, has a Hall of Fame career, and, and and Brooks probably does too, even though he doesn't have as many wins. But I mean, DJ easily could have more majors. Uh, he's contended so much, he's won so much money, um, and he's just been at the top of the game for a longer stretch of time. And uh, I know a lot of people measure you know success based on majors, but I think that there's something to winning PGA Tour events as well, and just the sustained dominance that DJ has had. Um, I think he's had a better career. You go to, you know, Shadow Creek or other golf courses, the most common name that you'll see for the course record is Dustin Johnson. I'm not sure which thing makes me feel older right now. The fact that Phil Mickelson is making his PGA Tour Champions debut this week or the fact that Dustin Johnson is somehow 36 years old. I mean, sounds weird coming off the week that he just had, but Dustin Johnson is essentially on the back nine of his career right now, which if you're going to be on the back nine of your career and shoot 30 under, and win by 11, I guess that's a good thing. So, um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you in this conversation. I think that if there's any sort of debate here, it comes from the fact that players most often talk about what the major championships mean to them. Because publicly, that's sort of what we want to hear as a player saying, hey, these events are important to me. They mean the most. I want to win them. And so that's where my head is at. It's very, very rare if ever, where a player comes out and says, you know, I've won more money than so-and-so, and and so I've been more successful, or money really matters to me. But look, we all work. We gauge our success in whatever field we're in, 
at some point in some part based on how much money we've made. And so, especially in a game like golf where you've got to perform to make that money. And so players won't come out and say, hey, it's all about the money for me. But the fact that Dustin Johnson has earned it, it's close to $70 million, I believe, now in his career. I think that shows just what kind of longevity and consistent success that he has has had. So uh, that was the first question I had for you. The second question, and, and I really wanted to get your take on this because, quite frankly, I don't know. And I didn't have an answer, and I wanted to ask you because you would have an answer. But going into the final round, Dustin Johnson had a five-shot lead. It's amazing they extended a five-shot lead to an 11-shot victory at the end of it. But a five-shot lead for a world-class player – Going into the final round when he is obviously firing on all cylinders, he was minus 560 in the books. Is there ever a point, Peter, where you would bet on a guy where it looks like a sure thing? Would you bet on a player at minus 560 with a five-shot lead going into the final round? So I actually passed on betting, and I, and I did look at it. Um, I had the price really similar, showing you know minus five sixty. I, I thought there was just a little too much juice there. Um, you know, I, I definitely think he was over minus five hundred. Um, was with some buddies, and we were trying to bet amongst ourselves uh, to figure out the right price, and uh, we all kind of had the consensus that that was right. And you look at some models; that's kind of where DJ should have been priced. We talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, after the fact, but uh, I do think. The, the type of player that you'd want to bet there would be, you know, if Scotty Scheffler was leading my five strokes or even better, like Harris English or, uh, you know, all these guys are good, but Alex Norton leading by five strokes with someone mm-hmm. like DJ or JT behind them. That's normally where you can actually get value from the books because the books normally have more of a liability towards the top end stars. And they're going to give the top end stars more win equity when they are five strokes or more behind. And oftentimes you can find value. I remember Chez was leading by like, six or seven strokes uh, going into a round. And I did bet that um, at a similar price and uh, maybe even shorter odds. And Chez is actually a great guy to bet in those situations because he's such a consistent golfer. So, you know, it depends. It's dependent on on the type of golfer, but yeah, going into Sunday, it sort of felt like a sure thing that DJ was going to win and don't want to just have a results oriented bias, but uh, yeah, he closed the door and minus five sixty seems like a slam dunk at this point. So I did something to look at, and I do actually think there's value. I think you should be looking round to round. I find that there's more value in outright bets uh, after rounds than pre-tournament. So if you're interested in those type of bets, uh, look at them. And, and if we do see a situation where you know a non-elite golfer is winning by five or more strokes, I oftentimes think there's value in taking that golfer to win after round three. My last of these three questions I wanted to ask you is a little more fun. I put this on Twitter. Uh, Sunday evening when the when the tournament went into a delay, a really unfortunate delay, because we all knew what the conclusion was going to be. But I asked people on Twitter uh, after Dustin Johnson had hit his tee shot on 17 into the rough and was up nine with the rest of 17 left to play from the rough and then a par five closing hole. I asked social media, would you be able to take over for Dustin Johnson at this point and still win the golf tournament for him? And Peter, I was shocked by the amount of people who admitted, no way, I, I would absolutely lose this thing for him. I would choke it away. I don't know if people are just realistic about their own games, and there are a lot of just bad golfers out there who are watching. I don't know if people unnecessarily think that PGA Tour courses are set up to so, such a diabolical um dimension that you know they absolutely couldn't make a a bogey or a double bogey uh you know some people said hey i just get 
go hit wedge on every shot. By the way, on 18 at TBC Boston, if you're hitting wedge off the tee, you're not going to be able to hit another wedge for a while. So uh, I don't know that that uh, strategy would necessarily work for you out there. But, um, I mean, you know my game. I, we have played together. I'm, I'm about five handicap. I, I'm pretty sure that I could take a nine-shot lead with a hole and a half to play and have a few shots to spare by the end of that thing. Um, you feel pretty confident that you could take over for DJ at that point and, and still would have had the trophy for him? Well, first of all, I am 99.99%. I would risk uh, the majority of my net worth on you being able to close the door. Uh, maybe <laughs> 99% of it. Uh, I have a ton of faith. Um, you're consistent. And, and historically, my golf game is pretty consistent. I, I've gone through uh, some stretches of time where the S word has, has, has been a, a huge problem, including like the back nine with Tiger. So that that's my only pause. But, uh, you know, I haven't shot above 90 in a long time. And, you know, making double bogeys, yeah, it's a tough course. And, you know, the one shot that would be critical would be the approach to the green on 18. You have to get the ball in the air. But where I think some people might struggle is with uh, the short game stuff. I, I'm very confident I can three putt uh, almost any scenario. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would be very confident that I could close the door. Although, uh, you know, you make it a three stroke lead or something like that, four stroke lead. Now we're, now we're in big trouble because, you know, you have to hold off someone who's probably making birdie on 18 and, you know, you have to make bogeys. That's a lot worse than, uh, being able to make doubles and triples. So, uh, I, I feel confident, very confident in you. And, uh, Normally, people aren't honest on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that people are saying that they can close the door, that there's some, some honesty. Because if you can't get the ball airborne, you definitely can't close the deal. I was with you, Pete. I, I actually think more people could get it done than gave themselves credit for. I think a lot of people out there were like, oh, I don't know, man. There's be, there'd be a lot of pressure on me and you know, people watching me, and I don't know if I could do it. I, I don't know. I just, I, I just don't think it would be quite as difficult as I think a lot of people kind of imagine it to be. You're right. We're, we're not exactly talking Augusta National. We're not talking the Masters at stake. We're not talking those kind of speedy greens where, yes, you you could, in theory, if you're not a great guy, you, you could five or six putt on those greens and, and lose that lead in a hurry. I, I think uh, TBC Boston's a little easier. So uh, at some point, maybe someday down the road, uh, we'll be able to do something like that. I would love to like put the ball in the rough on 17 uh, at TBC Boston where, where DJ's ball was and say, okay, Let's play from here and just see what we do for the next hole and a half. I, I think that would be uh, kind of cool. So we're going to talk a uh, little BMW championship, getting ready for the next FedEx Cup playoff event. But first, we are calling on all listeners of the Action Network podcast to head to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a quick review. It only takes about 30 seconds to do, and we would really appreciate it. Not sure how to do it? Well, if you're listening right now on an iPhone, go to Apple Podcasts, Tap the Action Network podcast tile, scroll all the way down the episodes list, and there at the bottom, you'll see ratings and reviews. Rate us, review us. Please be nice as always. So let's get to the BMW and Olympia Fields, Pete. I, I think a lot of people are going to think of Olympia Fields, which has not hosted a men's professional tournament other than the 2003 U.S. Open in the past 40 years. So uh, there's not a whole lot to go on. Did have the 2015 U.S. Amateur, does have a an annual 
collegiate event, did have the 2017 Women's PGA Championship, uh, but has not had a men's professional PGA Tour sanctioned event other than the 03 US Open in, in four decades. And so I think a lot of people are going to, using the transitive property, say Jim Furyk won the 03 US Open at Olympia Fields. Jim Furyk is a straight but short hitter. Therefore, straight but short hitters can succeed at Olympia Fields. I'm not so sure I'm buying that. This is a big ballpark, 73-66 yards, I believe, only a par 70. Uh, You're going to have to move it out there. I think not only is hitting driver a long way off the tee going to be uh, very important, but I think those long and mid irons uh, into the greens are going to be even more important this week. Pete, first of all, uh, what do you think about the course? What have you heard? And, And what are you looking at this week? Yeah, I've only seen the yardage, and I went to the PGA Tour website and went hole by hole. Looks like some really long par threes and some longer par fours. The Jim Furyk's and you know the Ches Reeves of the world are really straight. They benefit from being in the fairway a lot, but we're just seeing it. I mean, almost all the best players in the world just hit it a long ways, and that's always an advantage. Um, some courses more so than others, um, but based on what I'm seeing so far, uh, you know, I'm going to be taking guys that uh, can, can move it a long ways, which. You know, we're down to the top 70. Almost all these guys uh, have a lot of firepower. There are still some shorter players in the field, but for the most part, uh, you look at the the top end names. These guys uh, have quite a bit of ball speed off the tee. So I think it's a, a course that, uh, you know, we don't have as much historical data on, which will, will make people look for comps. You know, you look at par four scoring, it's par 70. So there's a variety of things that uh, I think we'll be able to dig into, but at first glance, I'm not going to be just saying, okay, this is a short accuracy course, uh, which would favor you know a specific type of player and you know maybe hurt guys that are great with the driver. I think guys who have distance off the tee, the guys who are leading in total driving are still going to be an advantage this week. This feels to me, Peter, like a really difficult week. Not, as, not only is it a golf course that we've really never seen these guys play before, but I can go down the list and everybody in the top, oh, 20 or so on the board this week as far as odds, I either look at and say, well, that guy's kind of riding a heater right now, or it's a guy who's a little bit off his game, but because of that, there's a lot of value on him. And so I look at the number on, say, Rory McIlroy, who's 19 to 1 pre-tournament, and say, well, yeah, I don't necessarily love Rory this week, but I kind of like Rory at that number. It's a really good number for him. Patrick Cantley missed the cut last week. Well, I don't necessarily like him after coming off a missed cut, but at 30 to 1, yeah, I kind of like him. I mean, there's some depressed numbers. It feels like, Pete, there is more recency bias in the board this week than we've seen recently. This week, it feels like, yeah, Daniel Berger has lower odds than Rory McElroy. Scotty Scheffler has lower odds than Jason Day and Tiger Woods. Uh, is there something to that that maybe more so than usual because we're reaching the end of the season or you know just because it seems like there's been some haves and have-nots over the last couple of weeks with guys playing either really well or really poorly or at least below average that there's more recency bias in these numbers? Yeah, I, and I, I think that's the opportunity. I think, you know, you bank on a little regression. Obviously, current form is important, but it does seem like the books and the DFS pricing have really swung that direction. You, you mentioned a couple of examples. Abraham Answer coming off a missed cut is, you know, well below guys like Kevin Kisner and Harris English. And, you know, you would have said that a month ago, you'd be shocked. And you can yeah. kind of do that throughout the whole board. So 
Um, and not that not not even specifically answer, but there's a lot of really really good players that have longer odds. And yeah, I think you have to go player by player and try to decipher what's going on. I mean, I was super heavy Rory last week. His TD Green stats were still really good um, coming into last week, and then just another kind of stinker from Rory. And it's hard to figure out what's going on there. You look at the 19 to one number of shorter odds than Berger and Sander, who I have a ton of respect for. Um, you know, he's like the seventh or eighth guy down the list. It's like wow, that's a you know, really interesting value, but at the same time, the form is, you know, it's another week of bad form where it's like, okay, well, how much do I want to weight that? Um, can you just kind of go throughout the list? And I think the key is, is finding kind of, uh, some specific spots where you think maybe there's too much recency bias, uh, on certain players and, um, where you can say, okay, I, I think there's value on this player. Yeah. His current form isn't great, but it's because of putting or it's because of this one factor that hopefully you can improve upon and, and there's value. Uh, and last comment on this week, totally agree with you. It's extremely tough. 70 golfers this week, and it's pretty much the best players in the world. And who's going to do better, John Rahm or Justin Thomas? Like, that's that's one of the hardest things to figure out uh, week to week. So yeah. we have a lot of examples like that. And I think there's probably more edge from a gambling and DFS perspective in the, in the bigger field. But it uh, should be a lot of fun, and it's great to see all these uh, elite players in one tournament. And I do think that there's certain plays that I, I have a lot of conviction on, and, and hopefully those hit this week. Yeah, I can tell you, Peter, that I've already looked at, at DFS. I've put in a couple lineups of guys who are riding heaters where, you know, one of them has Dustin Johnson and Russell Henley and Scotty Scheffler and Daniel Berger and guys who are are really hitting it very well right now. And I've got another one where uh, I've done already just early on, you know, and it's only been out for a couple hours so far on DraftKings, but – Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Cantley, Tony Finau, Gary Woodland. What do they all have in common? They're all coming off a missed cut last week, and yet none of them really hit the ball all that badly for the two rounds that they played. So uh, that makes it really, really difficult, but also means that we've got some options out there, and, and we've got some ways we can uh, find a little bit of an edge and, and at least go after some guys who might be a little bit different than everybody else has in a 70-man field. Giddy up! Let's bet horses for courses. Yeah, I'll just go through a couple names that really stand out to me. You know, we mentioned John Rahm off the top. John Rahm should be right there with DJ as the favorite. I know DJ just came off an insane week, uh, but John Rahm's been so consistent. Uh, did have the one miscut on, during the COVID swing, but last week was really impressive, including a very strong Sunday round. Uh, hit the ball great off the tee. Was actually pretty poor on approach initially, and then uh, found it on Sunday and. John Rahm is a great approach player uh, that that dials in. Uh, I think he could play really, really well. And I really hey, like John Rahm quite a bit. Not to interrupt you, but does that remind you sort of the final round of the workday charity open? Now, granted, they're going to stay at the same course, Muirfield Village, the very next week. But we're only, what, a month and a half removed from John Rahm not really having a great week. The first three rounds of the workday, shooting a 64 on Sunday, ball striking numbers looking really good. And, oh, by the way, seven days later, he was a Memorial Tournament uh, champion. I I, I feel like it's very uh, similar, very much a a parallel to what it was six weeks ago when he was coming off that final round. I feel the exact same way. I'm all about John Rahm this week. I think he looks really, really uh, enticing. And uh, the markets do think he's a a great guy. But that's the guy I'm buying at the top of the board. A couple other names, and we'll get into DFS. Victor Hovland, uh, Mm -hmm. ball striking clinic, played awesome on Sunday. His chipping and putting is the one bugaboo, although he started to putt it really well last week. But Victor Hovland's ball striking, uh, I'm really, really impressed. And he didn't quite get the same bump that some of these other guys did. I mean, 
I would take Victor Hovland straight up over Scotty Scheffler. And Victor Hovland is, you know, 45, 50 to one and Scheffler's 30 to one. Um, you know, so I think that there's some, some strong value in a guy like him. And then towards the bottom of the board, you mentioned, you know, a couple of names. I mean, Gary Woodland, uh, we could see some strong regression from him in a positive way. And then Russell Henley. I mean, we've talked about him on this podcast a lot and we've been right about him. He's, you know, third in approach. You got JT and Morikawa, the two best iron players in the game, wedge players by a good, good bit, in my opinion. Number three and separating himself in a big way is Russell Henley. Uh, and Russell Henley has shown spurts of great putting. Uh, and his game is starting to come around and he's kind of in that same Gary Woodland tier. And I'm really interested in Russell Henley again. That's one guy I think I'll continue to ride the heater on. I'm absolutely with you on that. I've got him in my column this week to uh, finish top 10. He's five to one to finish in the top 10, right where he was a week ago. And like you said, he's been hitting the ball um, as well as he really ever has in his career over the last month or so. So I, I am sticking with Russell Henley, a couple other names from uh, sort of from top to bottom, but, Adam Scott, you know, he didn't decide to skip the first two months of the restart because he just wanted to stay fresh. I mean, he had concerns about traveling during a pandemic, uh, young family at home, totally understand all of that. But sort of the residual byproduct of that decision is that, well, everyone's a little gassed right now. I mean, the, the world's best players have played more golf over the course of the last two and a half months than they usually do at this time of year. Adam Scott should have some uh, some tread on the tires left. He should be um, ready to go this week. So I, I kind of like Adam Scott coming off a nice round on Sunday. A few other names. Alex Noren yep. is starting to play like the top 10 player that we've known him to be over the years. And uh, three top 10s in his last four starts after zero in his first 10 this year. I, I really like Noren. Xander Shoffley is a guy who, of course, whenever there's a no-cut event with a big field, he usually shows up, and he's a nice safe play for DFS, nice kind of top 10 type of play uh, betting-wise. Adam Long is 27th on the FedEx Cup point standings right now. Adam Long grew up in St. Louis, a Midwest kind of guy, should feel sort of at home in the Chicago area, and that's going to mean more to him. I, he is probably more motivated, having never gotten to the Tour Championship. and You've got to understand that, Getting to the BMW, okay, it's nice. I get one more start. Getting to the Tour Championship is, this year at least, I get into Kapalua. I get into the four majors next year. I can set my entire schedule. I mean, it is there are a lot of really good things that can happen. It can be uh, sort of career-changing, career-defining, just getting to the Tour Championship. And so at 27th on the points list, needing just a decent week, you know, not a great week, but just a decent week to stick around Inside that top 30, I, I think Adam Long should be very motivated, very inspired to uh, continue moving on past this week. Love that call. And uh, yeah, Adam Scott's another guy that I'm interested in. So sounds like we're on, on a lot of the same guys. And uh, yeah, you made a good point too. I mean, there's no cut this week. So uh, I will mention some, some key stats in terms of birdie making uh, when we make the DSS lineup. All right. Well, we're about to get into that. But first, in the next couple of weeks, we will be announcing some exciting contests and promos for you, our beloved listeners. So stay tuned for those. And as a reminder, all summer long, Peter and I will be releasing PGA Tour betting previews to get you ready for these weekly tournaments. Plus, Matthew Friedman, Chris Raybon, Sean Corner, the best in the business, going position by position with their NFL fantasy previews leading up to week one of the NFL season. We'll have Stucky and Colin Wilson doing college football conference previews, NBA betting, NFL futures betting, so many great episodes coming to this very podcast feed. Stay tuned for all of that. And 
As always, we're about to get to our DFS lineup. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Love doing this with you every week. We also do it on The Gimme, our Wednesday evening show. If you haven't watched The Gimme yet, make sure to check all your local social media programming and you can find us on there 8 30 eastern time every wednesday so pete i'll let you have the first pick let's get after this lineup what are you thinking well we both love john rom and it's an easy pick to spend the money up there uh, i think we both know some value plays he's eleven i i'm hopeful we'll make his ownership just a little bit lower uh, he's always up in the top 10 and, and weighted birdie average. I think he's 11th right now or 12th, but he is a guy who makes a ton of birdies. I think he's playing really well. Uh, last week just kind of was a little off on the approach and then found it on Sunday and he drove it well, putted it well. So I think John Rahm is trending and we both kind of like that memorial comp, you know, after the great round on Sunday uh, for the work day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And uh, I like starting it off with, with John Rahm. We're going to have to, Dig a little bit deeper for some other guys in here, but I'll start off with Victor Hovland at 8,100. I feel like Victor is uh, is ready to do some big things very, very soon. At 18th place finish, you look at him over the last three weeks, 59th of WGC in Memphis, 33rd at the PGA, 18th last week. That tells me he is moving in the right direction. And uh, over the course of his very young career, he's tended to gradually move in the right direction. And when he starts getting in that direction, he continues going there. So I, I like Victor Hovland for at least a top 10 this week. And I wouldn't assume that he would be that highly owned. So I think you're getting a guy that uh, can maybe sneak in there just a little bit at 8,100. Yeah, I love that call. Just a ball striking clinic. Uh, he wasn't even getting strokes on Sunday putting. Uh, and he was making birdie after birdie because he was just having kicking after kicking. So I think there's a, a lot of signal with Victor Hovland and on a week where there's no cut, uh, he might make some sloppy bogeys with his chipping and around the green stats, but uh, he's going to be hitting the ball in terms of proximity as well as anyone uh, given his recent form. Love that call. And I'll continue with uh, guys that we've been talking about. Uh, we have a little over 7,700 for the next four golfers. I'll spend right in that range with Russell Henley, uh, killing it on approach. Uh, you know, you look at his last results, uh, 51, 37th, 9th, 8th. That's a trend that I like to bet on. Yeah, I'm, I am, of course, all in on Russell Henley right now. He's been one of my favorite players to play over the last few weeks and will continue to be. And by the way, if Russell Henley, talk about guys getting becoming motivated to get into Eastlake, if he can move on to next week, he was 12th in the Tour Championship back in 2014, T3 just three years ago. So don't be surprised if Henley, if he stays on this little heater, gets in next week, he makes some noise at Eastlake once again. So I like that play. Uh, my next guy, uh, another one we've mentioned already and another one that I think we both like, but I don't know what Olympia Fields is going to be like. It's really hard to tell. I don't know if 30 under is going to win this week again and you're going to have to go super low or if it's going to look like a U.S. Open setup, which uh, not only has it held the U.S. Open in the past as recently as 2003, but when the U.S. Amateur was held there five years ago, Bryson, who won it, basically compared it to a U.S. Open setup and said uh, it was very much like that with some lush rough and fairways that aren't quite as wide as you would see on a regular basis on the BGA Tour. And so if it plays harder, I think you're going to need some guys that grind it out, some guys that maybe don't necessarily go 
really low all the time, but guys who are in good form. And uh, right along that uh, that feeling is is Alex Noren at, at seventy nine hundred, who's uh, coming off, like I said earlier, his third top ten is in his last four starts. He was eighth last week at the Northern Trust, sixty four sixty eight on the weekend. And um, this is the Alex Noren that we have come to know over the years. Hadn't been playing his best golf for a little while, for the last year or so, but over the last month has really turned it around, and he is uh, he is firing on all cylinders right now, Peter. He absolutely is firing on all cylinders. I've not had exposure to Alex Noren, and that has been very painful. I have had a ton of exposure to Ryan Palmer. Actually, I, I'll let you decide, because the, there's like a, a lot of guys in this range that, that, mm. that I really like, too specifically. Ryan Palmer, who is hot. I mean, Ryan Palmer is playing some great golf. Uh, 13th in weighted birdie average right now, coming off an eighth place, all four rounds in the 60s last week. Uh, going through his results, I mean, second, 15th, 43rd, eighth are his last four tournaments. He really figured something out, and it's fun to see Ryan Palmer playing great again. So, like him, but the other guy that I think makes a lot of sense that's way up there in weighted birdie average, has as much firepower as any player on tour, is Cameron Champ at 7,500. In a no-cut event, I am attracted to both those guys. Uh, which Which pick do you like more? I like Champ a little bit better. Palmer, you're right, has been fantastic recently. I, I just feel like you almost missed it if you didn't have him last week. Let's see. Eighth at the Northern Trust, 43rd PGA Championship, where we both really liked him. 15th at the WGC, second at the Memorial. I mean, that's some fantastic golf. I, I certainly don't want to fade Palmer. I like the the firepower of Cam Champ. And quite honestly, I like the firepower of a guy that's right there with Cam Champ at 7,500. That's Jason Kokrak, who has played really oh, yeah. well recently also. So I, I will let you choose those between two. those two, and, and I will take Kokrak because I, I like the, the fact that he's moving in the right direction right now. All in on Kokrak. Had him in ca- cash in DFS last week. Great birdie on 18, hit it to four feet. Yeah. Uh, talk about firepower. Kokrak has it, and uh, I love this lineup. Let's go with Champ and Kokrak, leaving 200 on the table, which we talk about a ton on this podcast. If you're playing DFS, you're playing the big contest, especially in a no-cut event with only 70 guys, make sure you're leaving some money on the table. That is the best way to ensure that you have a unique lineup. Uh, so I'm happy that we're doing that. And I think uh, I feel pretty good about this team. I think we have a good blend of recent form as well as maybe a little regression with a guy like Cameron Champ, who uh, played well at the PGA, didn't have a good Sunday, but then missed the cut last week. I could see some regression knowing that he has all four rounds and he needs to make a charge as well. So I feel really good about this team, Jason. I do too, surprisingly, because I a half hour ago I would have said, you know, I just I, we could basically throw darts and pick six guys, and I'd say, okay, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Now I'm looking at these six that we have right now: John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Russell Henley, Alex Noren, Jason Kokrak, Cameron Champ. I I really really like that lineup, and again, it's going to be tough to kind of figure out exactly how Olympia Fields is going to play, but it's going to be big. Uh, you're going to need to be able to hit it a long way, and we've got some bombers in this lineup. So love that. Can't wait for this thing to get started. Peter, any final words on uh, things you're thinking about for uh, for this week's event? No, I'm going to be trying to figure out as much as I can on the golf course, and we will have more information on the gimme. Uh, it should be a really fun week uh, with the playoffs. We have the U.S. Open coming up soon, and it's just a great time of year. NBA playoffs, shout-out to Luka Doncic uh, for just an unbelievable legendary shot. And uh, it's a great time to be a sports fan. So excited for golf this week. And uh, hopefully we're, we're on the right guys and uh, looking forward to seeing you again on the gimme, Jason. Yeah, I can't wait. The gimme, once again, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, uh, you'll get a lot of what we're doing right now with the two of us and Amanda Rose, plus 
uh, some last minute tinkering. We might be thinking a few different things than we're thinking right now anyway at the beginning of the week. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, like I said, check your local social media channels to figure out all of that. So cannot wait for the BMW Championship. Get started on Thursday this week, the second of the three FedEx Cup playoff events. For Peter Jennings, I'm Jason Sobel. Thanks so much for listening to the Action Network podcast and reading all of our coverage on Golf Bet every week. We'll keep it going for you. Good luck with all your bets at the BMW Championship. And here's hoping you hit the green. We're finished talking. <laughs> 